Have you ever been in the presence of a celebrity? Celebrity? Did I say that word right? Celebrity? There was a time I was in the presence of uh, Dustin Hoffman. Who's that? She's a little young. Let me go on. Arnold Schwarzenegger. Denzel Washington. Diane Cannon. I was in the presence of all these celebrities. Jack Nicholson. Anybody know where I was at? I was at a Laker game, right. And so we were all in the same room together. Me and these guys. Shaq and Kobe were there. It was, it was happening. And, uh, and the thing is, sometimes we view our relationship with God, being in God's presence, kind of like that. We're kind of in this big room together. You know, he's out there. He, he may not even know I, I, I exist. He may not know much about me. I know he's up there. We don't really have much of a relationship, but we're, we're together. We're in the same thing. But that's, that's not how the Scripture teaches us about God's presence in our lives. There are two illustrations uh, that really uh, help us, I think, see what it means to be in God's presence, what it means to be in relationship with God. God uses these two, probably the most intimate relationships we have in this world, and those are the marriage relationship, the bride and the bridegroom. That's how he talks about our relationship with him, being in his presence together, and the, the parent-child relationship. Those are the, the, the in the presence of God that we're going to talk about today as the psalmist talks about being in the presence of God. We're not talking about being in the, a big room together. We're talking about an intimate, in-the-presence relationship. And that brings us to our psalm for today, Psalm 84 savoring Psalm 84. It's a beautiful, poetic description of the blessings, the joys that come from being in God's presence in this intimate way. And it's my prayer that as we walk through this psalm, that our desires will be awakened. As we read of the blessings that are found in God's presence, And as we see how those blessings are are magnified, so this is an Old Testament psalm we're talking about, and those blessings just get greater. They're magnified for us in Christ. I pray that we'll be moved. I pray that we'll be inspired. I pray that we we will want to fight for more and more of God's presence in our lives, that we would be people who, as A.W. Tozer says, follow hard after God. So without any further ado, let me read Psalm 84. The heading reads, To the choir master, according to the Gittith, a psalm of the sons of Korah. How lovely is your dwelling place. You'll recognize this psalm. We sang a lot of it this morning. How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord, of hosts. My soul longs, yes, faints, for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh sing for joy to the living God. Even the sparrow finds a home and and the swallow a nest for herself where she may lay her young at your altars. O Lord of hosts, my King and my God, blessed are those who dwell in your house, ever singing your praise. Selah. That that word just means sort of pause and and think about it. Let it it sink in. Let it it go to the depths of your soul. Verse 5. Blessed are those whose whose strength is in you, in in whose heart are the highways to Zion. As they go through the valley of Baca, they, they make it a place of springs. The early rain also covers it with pools. They go from strength to strength, 
Each one appears before God in Zion. O Lord of hosts, hear my prayer. Give ear, O God of Jacob. Selah. Verse 9, Behold, our shield, O God, look on the face of your anointed. For a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does He withhold from those who walk uprightly. O Lord of hosts, blessed is the one who trusts in You. And at the end of the psalm, there's an implied Selah. Think about that. Let it sink in. If you remember when we looked at Psalm 51 last week and the week before, we looked at its, at its context. David's sin with Bathsheba, if you remember. And then we looked at its content. And Psalm 84 also has a context that I think we need to understand that's going to help us as we look at the content. content the context of Psalm 84 Now, this psalm is about being in the presence of God. It talks about where God is, going to where God is. It uses words like the dwelling place of God, the house, and the courts of the Lord. Now, we all know that God is everywhere. God is omnipresent, is the big word, everywhere, all the time. He's present. He's here now. But in a special way, God chooses to dwell in certain places. We'll talk about that. So we need to understand that in the Old Testament times, when this psalm was written, it's in the Old Testament, the presence of God among his people focused in first the tabernacle and then the temple. The tabernacle was this this portable, extravagant, fairly large tent. It was built after the Exodus when the children of Israel left Egypt. They were wandering in the wilderness. God gave them instructions to build this tabernacle, and and eventually it was brought into Jerusalem and set up in Jerusalem. The temple replaced the tabernacle. It was a permanent structure built in Jerusalem by King Solomon. And both the tabernacle and the temple in the Old Testament time served as a place where the children of Israel would gather to offer sacrifices, would gather to worship, to praise their God. And both of these places symbolized God's presence among his people. Now, the tabernacle and the temple came with uh, certain jobs. They, they were places they needed to be maintained, and God appointed different people from different families to take care of these jobs that needed done in the tabernacle and temple. We usually only think about the responsibilities. We think about the, the temple, we think about the priests. They did their job. So, with that in mind, though, that there were others. Uh, we look at the heading of Psalm 84. To the choir master, according to the Gittith, a psalm of the sons of Korah. The psalm is to the choir master, so we know it was to be sung. The Gittith is probably some musical term. It's sort of been, been lost. But the clue to the context of this psalm are the words, a psalm of the sons of Korah. This is one of 11 psalms attributed to the sons of Korah. So who were these guys, the sons of Korah? The answer is, is found in 1 Chronicles chapter 9, verse 19. Shalom, the son of Kor, son of Ebasaph, son of Korah, and his kinsmen of and his kinsmen of his father's father's house, the Korites, were in charge of the work of service of the service, keepers of the thresholds of the tent 
as their fathers had been in charge of the camp of the Lord, keepers of the entrance. Okay, so the Korites, the sons of Korah, were keepers of the threshold of the tent, the tabernacle. They were the gatekeepers. They were the doorkeepers of the tabernacle and later of the temple, probably, which means they were the, the security, the ushers, the greeters for the Lord at the tabernacle and the temple. And the tabernacle and temple, unlike, you know, if you're an usher, greeter, security here, you come on Sunday and you work, you know, you do your, your job before the service or during the service, now, the tabernacle and temple were open 24-7, so they needed people there at all times. This was their job, the, Kor, the sons of Korah. They worked in the place that symbolized God's presence among his people. And they express the joy they got out of doing their job by writing Psalm 84. So that's the context. Psalm 84 was written by the sons of Korah who worked, who lived and worked in the temple of the Lord. So let's look at how they speak about being in God's presence, in this place that represented God's presence on earth. The content of Psalm 84. The psalm is broken into three sections. The first section, verses 1-4, through focuses on the blessings of being in the temple. This is sort of their first-hand experience as being uh, uh, the gatekeepers of the temple. Verse 1, How lovely... Is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts? The psalmist, I'm, gonna ref, I'm not going to say the sons of Korah all the time. I'm going to say the psalmist here. Now talking about this group or an individual from the group. We're not sure if it was one person or a group effort that wrote the psalm. But the psalmist begins by saying just how lovely, how beautiful the dwelling place of the Lord is. Now the tabernacle and especially the temple was very ornate, very beautiful laden in gold, a lot of gold and and silver and things. But that wasn't their focus, as we'll see. The dwelling place is lovely, not because of what it looks like, but because of who dwells there, who lives there. The Lord of hosts, which literally means Yahweh of heavenly armies. The Lord who dwells among His people is the commander, the leader of the heavenly armies. And this points to the security they felt of being in God's presence. Have you ever been in someone's presence that just made, you know, maybe when you're a little kid, you know, and you're hanging out with your dad, you just feel secure, and they feel secure in God's presence. He's the commander of the heavenly armies. He has charge of the the angels. It's, It's lovely that God dwells among us and He protects us, they're saying. Verse 2, my soul long just faints for the courts of the Lord. These guys now, now speak of, of, of their own reaction to the presence of the Lord. First, they long to be in the courts of the Lord because that's where the Lord is. In His courts, in His presence. That word faints means to be finished or to be spent, to be, to be done. All their energy is used in longing for the presence of the Lord in their life. There's an, an appetite there. For the Lord, there's, there's an insatiable sort of desire. You know, the Lord, the more the Lord gives of Himself to you, the more you know Him, the more you want Him. It's, it's a paradoxical in some ways, but because He's infinite, it's true. There's an appetite, a hunger for more and more of God. Then he adds, my flesh, second part of verse 2, my flesh, my heart and my flesh, uh, my entire being, everything about me, my outside, my inside longs for you. It sings for joy to the living God. 
This is their experience in God's presence. And in our English translation, it sounds very intense, very passionate. The soul is longing and fainting. The heart and the flesh are singing for joy. But the Hebrew is even more passionate. The Hebrew phrase that translates sing for joy is, is not just singing. You know, I won't do that. It's not just beautiful song. It's, it's crying out. It's shouting to the Lord. He's crying out. They're crying out for joy to the living God. He's shouting and rejoicing. My God's not dead. He's surely alive. Have you ever experienced that kind of, of joy just being in the Lord's presence? Does He make you want to sing and shout? We should be a community, a, a people that can't help but singing and shouting and praising God. I just want to give you the freedom as, as we sing in worship. Shout out if you, if you want to. Jesus, praise the Lord, you know. As I'm preaching, as you hear truth from God's Word, feel free to shout out, enjoy, do some active listening, engage, amen. amen. Praise the Lord, you're here today, Jesus. Then the psalmist continues with a, a beautiful picture of being in the Lord's presence and, and who can come into the Lord's presence, really. Verse 3, he says, Even the sparrow finds a home and the swallow a nest for herself where she may lay her young at your altars. O Lord of hosts, my King and my God. This is great imagery. It's, it's showing that there's an open invitation for all to come into God's presence. The sparrow is used throughout Scripture to picture uh, that which is humble, that which is lowly and common and, and seemingly worthless. Jesus pointed out in Matthew 10, if you remember, how two sparrows are sold for a penny. They're just not worth that much. Yet the psalmist says, this simple, common bird finds a place in the presence of God. And in the same way, those who are humble, those who are lowly, those who are realize they're common, because we, we all are common. Let's face it, we all can, can, by God's grace, find a place in His presence. He's so welcoming. The presence of God is the place where the humble find a home and where the restless find refuge. That's the swallow. I don't know if you know much about birds. I don't know a lot. I read up. Well, you've seen a swallow, maybe. A swallow is a fast-moving bird dancing and darting back and forth. You just can hardly keep it's like those cups, you know, when the fast guys do the cups. You can hardly follow the swallow. And yet, in the presence of God, she builds a nest. She settles down to rest with her young. It's a great illustration of what the church father Augustine said. Our hearts are restless until they find their rest in thee. And who is thee? According to verse 3, thee is the Lord of hosts, my King and my God, Yahweh of heavenly armies again, who is my King? God is my king, the righteous king who not only rules over me, but he protects me from my enemies. And he's not only my, your king, he's your God. That's amazing. That's different from the religions of the world. He's your God. He has in his grace and his mercy and his love seen fit to give himself to you and to me. He's a personal, relational God. And He invites us into His presence where we find a home, where we find a refuge. 
The psalmist then ends this first section with a summary statement of blessing. He says in verse 4, Blessed are those who dwell in your house, ever singing your praise. Selah. Blessed or, or happy. Remember we talked about this word blessed. This means to be happy, to experience joy. Blessed are those who dwell, who live, who abide. It's a, it's a, const, it's a word that means being in the presence continuously. Abide in the house of the Lord of hosts, the, the living God, my King and my God. And when you dwell in His house, you can't stop singing. You can't stop shouting when you're in His presence. Amen? Think about the blessings of being in God's presence. So the first section ends with this blessing. And the next section, it begins with the, uh, the, the next blessing. Blessed, the blessings of going to the temple. Verse 5, blessed are those whose strength is in you, in whose heart are the highways to Zion. Now Zion, or Jerusalem, is where the temple was located. So the psalmist is talking about people whose hearts are on the highway to Zion. So the, the, those that are riding, these sons of Korah, they lived in Jerusalem. They lived at the, at the temple. But, but there were others who lived throughout the land, and they were saying to them, uh, those that, that would take a pilgrimage, their hearts would be on the rose, their passion about going to where God dwells. And they are blessed by God's strength on that journey. Because along the journey, so there's these, it's a picture of a pilgrimage, of, of a heart, it could be literal or figurative, of a heart or, a, or actual body going to Jerusalem, going to the temple, going to meet with the Lord, go to be, going to be in God's presence. But all, along the way, along the journey, verse 6, as they go through the, the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs. The early rain also covers it with pools. So this is, this is interesting, and you wouldn't know it. You have to like read stuff to figure this out. What is this valley of, of Baca? Baca is a Hebrew word meaning a, a balsam tree. And when the sap of a balsam tree, if you're familiar with that, oozes, it looks like it looks like teardrops. And that's why people referred to the Valley of Baca, where the balsam trees, is the Valley of, of Weeping. So the psalmist is, is talking about people, either a figurative or literal journey to Zion. They're going to the presence of the Lord. They're going to the temple. And along the way, they go through the Valley of Baca. They go through the Valley of Weeping. The point is, they're going through difficulty. They're going through, through trials. They're going through hard times. They're going through sickness. They're going through relational problems, financial problems. Who knows? And what sustains them, what gives them strength, is their hope in the presence of the Lord. They're, they're going to be with God. Their heart is on the highway to Zion. And their weeping turns to springs and pools. More imagery. From the springs and the pools, they can drink and, and be satisfied. The psalmist is describing how tears of sadness, how sorrow become springs of joy when you look to the presence of God for your strength. I can't think of any better way to illustrate this than to refer to Charlie as he spoke to us this morning. Going through the valley of tears finding his strength in the Lord, and tears of sorrow turning to joy. Verse 7, they go from strength to strength. Each one appears before God 
in Zion. On the heavenly, on the highway to Zion, the highway to God's presence, you're blessed even when you go through this valley of weeping because you're sustained by the strength of the Lord, going from strength to strength. And you have hope because you're assured, get this, you're assured that you'll make it. Each one appears before God in Zion. If your heart stays on the highway, you're assured to come into the presence of the Lord. Verse 8, O Lord God of hosts, hear my prayer. Give ear, O God of Jacob. Selah. The psalmist cries out for the Lord to hear his prayer. That God would bless, God would strengthen those who are on this highway, who are on this journey to be in the presence of God. And he addresses this prayer not only to the Lord of hosts, but to the God of Jacob. Why the God of Jacob? Because the God of Jacob is talking about a faithful God. God had been making and keeping promises to his people for centuries, going all the way back to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. He's the God of Jacob. He's the faithful, true God. Amen? And that leads us to the final section of the psalm, the blessings of trusting in God. He's faithful and therefore trustworthy. Verse 9, Behold our shield, O God. Look on the face of your anointed. This is a little difficult to understand. There are different renditions, different commentaries say different things. But but what I think, and, and others, I don't make this stuff up, What I think it means is that God blesses by becoming a shield of protection. He is our protector, but only because He's looking on the face of your anointed. The Messiah. That word anointed is the same word for Messiah. We are blessed because of, not because of who we are, not, we're protected not because of what we do, but because God looks at the Messiah that we trust in. We are blessed by trusting in the Lord's Messiah who we know to to be Jesus Christ. The writers were looking forward to the Messiah. We are looking back to the Messiah. We know it's Jesus. So we're blessed, we're protected because God is looking at the face of the anointed Jesus, the one we trust in. Then verse 10, that famous verse, we sang the song, for a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. Remember the psalmist, these sons of of Korah, are in fact doorkeepers in the house of God. This is literal for them. They've experienced what it means to be in God's presence, and they wouldn't trade it for anything. They trust in the Lord. Every day in His presence is amazing. This, This reminds me of what we talked about last week. It's the, it's, it's the joy we find in God's presence that keeps us from sin. We don't want to be separated from God, so we avoid sin that brings that separation. It keeps us from dwelling in the tents of wickedness. I don't want to do that. I'm, I'm a doorkeeper in God's house. Why would I want to get in these tents of wickedness? Because verse 11, For the Lord God is a sun, a shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. Just in that short statement, just pouring forth the greatness of God in his life. The psalmist breaks forth to declare just how trustworthy, how awesome the Lord is. He's the sun. He's the source of light and life and purpose in his people. He's the shield of protection and and provision he provides for his people. He bestows favor on his people. He is the God of grace. He generously gives his people what, 
what we can't earn, what we don't deserve. Verse 11, no good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. For those who walk uprightly, those who trust in him, those who follow after him, those who take seriously the truth that he's my king and and my God. This is really Romans 8.28 in the Old Testament. You know, we, we think that this stuff is new, but... You can, always find, you can always find it. Paul writes, for, the, for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to His purpose. No good thing does He withhold from those who walk uprightly. God is out for our good in all things. If you follow after Him, if you walk uprightly, if, you're, if you love Him, if you're called according to His purpose. And verse 12 sums it all up. O Lord of hosts, blessed, happy is the one who trusts in You. So in Psalm 84, in the Old Testament context, where you, where, whether, whether you're a son of Korah and you live at the temple gates, or you're far away, maybe way up north in Galilee, but your heart, your heart is on this highway to Zion. In either case, you're blessed, you're happy when you're in God's presence. When you're trusting in Him. Now this is... This is all in, again, the Old Testament context. The time when God was dwelling among His people in Jerusalem, when His, his, his uh, symbolic presence was in this tabernacle or in the temple. So what about us? How does this apply in the New Testament context? There's no tabernacle. There's no temple in Jerusalem. It was destroyed, what, what there was in 70 AD. And the answer is, all the blessings the happinesses, if that's a word, are magnified in Christ Jesus. Christ is our context and our content. I don't really know what I mean by that, but I liked it. It was three C's, it was good. Christ is everything, that's all I'm saying. We don't travel to Jerusalem to worship at a temple because Christ is the temple. In chapter 2 of John's Gospel, I think Chad alluded to this if I was paying attention. Jesus was having a discussion with some of the Jews at the temple in Jerusalem. And in verse 19, check this out, what he said. Destroy this temple, and in three days I'll raise it up. What temple was he talking about? Well, well, you know the answer, but I'm going to tell you anyway. The Jews thought he was talking about the building, the temple. The temple in Jerusalem. Verse 20, they said, it has taken 46 years to build this temple, and, and you'll raise it up in three days? That's crazy talk. But in verse 21, uh, John makes it clear. But he, Jesus, was speaking about the temple of his body. Jesus was telling them that he is the temple. He's pointing forward. He's looking at the fact that he would die on the cross and be raised from the dead. Remember when Jesus died, what happened in the temple? Anybody? The, the veil, that's right, that curtain that separated the Holy of Holies from the, the regular part of the temple, so to speak, tore in half from top to bottom, symbolizing that now we're free to enter the Holy of Holies. We're free to go into God's presence through Christ Jesus. Jesus was saying to them, I am the place where God dwells. I am the place of God's presence among His people. I am where the people of God will come to worship. I'm the temple, and this Christ is temple is the context for entering into God's presence now. Now, in Psalm 84, we saw three things that were a blessing 
to the Old Testament saints. They were blessed by being in the temple, they were blessed by going to the temple, and they were blessed by trusting in God. And I think there are three corresponding blessings for us, corresponding and magnified blessings for us in the context of the New Testament, in the context of Christ already having given His life for us. So, let's look at those. The first, the blessing, not of, not of, uh, not of being in the temple... But we experience the blessing of being the temple. Check this out. We just said that Jesus is the temple, right? But because He's the temple, an amazing blessing happens to those who trust in Him. This is uh, awesome stuff. To those who look to Him, to look to Christ as their temple, as the temple sacrifice, as the one that died for their sins, as the one that gave Him salvation. The Apostle Paul writes this amazing thing to the church in Corinth, 1 Corinthians 3.16. Do you not know that you are God's, that you, you are God's temple and that God's Spirit dwells in you? This is not talking about Jesus as the temple, but you, the believers, are the temple. When you turn from your sin and put your trust in Jesus, you're reconciled to God you become the temple of God because He gives you His Spirit. His Spirit dwells in you. So where is God's presence? Everywhere. He's omnipresent. Yes, He dwells in heaven above, but He, in a special way, I believe, dwells in the hearts and lives of every single sinner who's trusted in Jesus Christ as their Savior. We are the temple of God. So so get this. We don't go to a designated place to worship like they did in the Old Testament. We don't have to go somewhere to experience God's presence because we have His presence in us. You're the place of worship. You can worship God 24-7 wherever you are. He's in you. Individually, we are the place of worship. And corporately, I think it just gets magnified together. Think about, we're, we're all coming together with Christ dwelling in us, with the Spirit of God dwelling in us, and we're worshiping as the body of Christ together, lifting up, glorifying God. And this is an amazing blessing. Think about it. We're the place where God's Spirit, God's presence God's glory dwells. He's given Himself to us. He's my God. And that has to change how we live. Right? Doesn't it? We live with the presence of God within us. We wake up in the morning with the presence of God in us. We we walk through our day at home and at work. Wherever Wherever else we go, the presence of God goes with us. And we lay down at night and the presence of God is, is with us, is in us. We are blessed by being the temple of God. Amen? Now second, unlike the Old Testament saints, we do not experience the blessings of going to the temple. But we experience the blessing of going to heaven. We're not going on a pilgrimage to Jerusalem. But the highway of our hearts is on a journey, and that journey is to be in heaven with God. Paul wrote to the Philippians chapter 3, verse 20, but our citizenship is in heaven, 
this earth, even the good old USA that isn't as good as it used to be, I guess, is not our real home. We are right now citizens of heaven. And while we're on earth, we're on a journey. We're on a journey to where we belong, to our heavenly home. Where we will, in a, in a new way, there, there's, uh, Chad talked about it, this, this, this present reality, but it's even better as we go forward. Where we experience this new, in a new way, this unencumbered by sin. Our sin will be taken away. And we'll be in the presence of God for all eternity. We'll be transformed and we'll never experience separation from God again. Amen? That's the hope we have. That's the journey we're on. And in Revelation chapter 21, verse 1, the Apostle John describes this ultimate destination. It's amazing. It's amazing. Verse 1, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. It's the new Jerusalem. It's not the old place. It's a new place that God's created, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more, neither shall there be mourning nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. I want to be there. We get glimpses of that in this world as we have the Spirit of God dwelling in us. But it will be coming in its fullness one day as we're on this journey in this life, this process of, of going to be in eternity with God in heaven. And do you see what the focus of of heaven is there. It's not going to hang out with the relatives that have gone before you. It's not, it's not a reunion. It's not a family reunion. It's not the streets paved with gold. Over and above all the, the physical descriptions of the beauty of, of heaven, the most important thing about heaven is not what is there, but who is there. The dwelling place of God will we be with man. He's going to come and dwell with us in a new way. And the whole point is finally, finally, all those who've trusted in Christ will be fully reconciled to God. Nothing separating us ever. So is God with us right now? Absolutely. Absolutely He is. Is God's present dwelling in Christians? Absolutely. We've been given the Spirit. The Holy Spirit is right now in us, but we long for more. We long for more. We've received something. We've received part of Him. I don't know how to even describe it, but there's more. The highways of our hearts are, are set on the hope of a day when sin and suffering will be no more. And we'll be with God. We'll be perfect. We'll be pure. There'll be endless joy forever and ever. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Now in the meantime, He's called us to something different. He wants us to experience this. His, his wisdom. We're on earth. We find ourselves walking many times through this valley of Baca. There's times of weeping. There are t- 
real struggles in this world, there is a fight to maintain joy in the Lord. So what do we do? What do we do? I think Psalm 84 helps us. We keep our eyes fixed on the hope we have in the Lord. We keep our eyes fixed on this is not our home. We're going to be with Jesus forever. Even when our present journey is difficult, we have to lift our eyes to heaven. We're citizens of heaven. We're not citizens of earth. To hope in God. To turn to God. Where even sparrows and swallows find home and find a refuge. And that takes us to our final application for this morning. And this is different than the other two because we are blessed by trusting in God. It's the same as the, uh, as the Old Testament saints. They were blessed by trusting in God. We're blessed by trusting in God. But we are also specifically blessed because we trust in Christ. Blessed by trusting in Christ. We have a, a name for this Messiah. We know what He did. For the psalmist, they were blessed by trusting in God. But we know more. We've been given further revelation and further entry into God's presence through Christ. So for the Christian now, we know the blessings of trusting in Jesus Christ. For God has sent His Son to us. And He's identified with us. He became flesh. He dwelt among us. John 1.14, that dwelt among us is that word tabernacle. He tabernacled among us. He came and He was one of us. He was hurt as you were hurt. He experienced sorrow and pain and suffering just like you do. He knows what it's like to be abandoned and He knows what it's like to feel alone. He knows what it's like to, to look to God the Father in the midst of utter darkness and ask, why? Why is this happening? He identifies with you and He says over and over and over, trust in Me. Trust in Me. Trust in the one who's, who's walked through darkness, who's walked through that dark night and has come out on the other side in victorious light. He's conquered sin. He's conquered sorrow. He's defeated death. He's defeated hell. And He's coming back again. He's coming back to bring all who trust in Him to glory with Him for all eternity. Where again, He'll wipe away every single tear, every sorrow, heal every ache in every heart. But you have to trust in Him. You have to trust in Him now. That's the process that He asks you to go through. He asks you to go through the valley of weeping with trust in Him. So that's my prayer. That we at Bridges will see, will see in Christ someone to be trusted. That He is trustworthy that more than anything we'll see and know how precious He is, how He's done so much for us, that our hearts and our souls and our minds will be awakened to the, to the many blessings He offers. That as we read Psalm 84, maybe you'll want to read it a couple times, we'll, we'll become jealous in a good way at the, of the sons of Korah. They experience joy and blessing by dwelling in the presence of God. And my prayer is that that we will trust that our joy only be found in the presence of God. That we'll trust that the truth, that we are the temple of the Lord, we'll trust in that truth. We'll, we'll trust that God is within us. That, that through Christ, God's Spirit dwells in us. And that, that'll change how we live. We'll live based on the fact that, 
that God dwells in us. Amen. So if that's, uh, if you'd like that experience, if you'd like help with that experience, if you're saying, okay, uh, I, I don't really feel like a temple of the Lord a lot of times, a lot of the days of my life. That's what we're here for as a church, to help one another along that, that journey, to, to care for one another, to pray for one another. So I invite you, if, if you'd like to receive prayer, just to, to, to be a person that trusts in Christ. We offer that after the service. So let me pray, and the worship team will come up, and, and we'll have one final song. Lord God, just thank you so much for uh, your dwelling among us. Lord, that you have tabernacled, dwelt among us, that you're, and that you're no longer in a specific location, that you, through Christ Jesus, have given each person that trusts in you a spirit. Lord, I pray that we would, we would trust in you. We'd receive that spirit, and we would continue to trust in you as we walk through this, uh, this world, this life, this valleys of weeping oftentimes, Lord, sometimes valleys of joy. Lord, I pray that no matter what, if we're up or we're down, that we will trust in you. Lord, and we'll experience your presence in our lives, and that presence will bring joy beyond belief. Thank you that that's what you offer. Help us to receive it in Christ's name.